Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Critical Conversations, my guest is Mike Govro, who many of you will recognize from our regular Shop Talk show. We, get, we dig into a topic that we feel is in desperate need of a nuanced conversation, and that topic is posture. We start by defining posture. We talk about the myth of perfect posture. We unpack whether posture matters or not. We talk about the importance of joint alignment. And we finish with unpacking why exploring quote-unquote bad postures can be a really valuable element when building resilience. Really enjoyed the conversation with Mike, and I hope it clarifies the confusion when it comes to posture. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. Our team discovered the powerful mental and physical benefits of playing on a balance beam several years ago, and since then we've worked hard to manufacture high-quality beams in Canada and to develop a system for helping you understand how to use that beam. Our product design philosophy is less but better, and we keep the design simple so you can creatively express complex movements while having fun and training your ability to focus your attention. If you check out tfc-shop.com, click on the beam link, you'll be able to see our growing selection of balance beams. And for a detailed system of how to progress from beginner to advance, uh, advanced on the beams, you can check out beamtribe.com and join our health community for full access to our advanced software. This episode of the show is also brought to you by TFC app. Our mission with the app is pretty simple. Open source quality health information within a distraction free platform that's designed for time well spent. No clickbait. We don't sell your data. Just the best videos, podcasts, books, and articles that our team at TFC and the whole foot nerd community have learned from or created uh, with the intention of empowering you with everything you need to take care of yourself. If you visit the footcollective.app, which is a website, you can access the iOS and web versions of the free app. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this awesome Canadian company has a subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story of all the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out the roasterspack.com, use the code foot at checkout, you get seven bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC audio project hello wonderful humans nick here for episode number two of critical conversations my guest today is a familiar voice which you'll recognize if you listen to our shop talk episodes and it's mike govro mike is a uh, good friend of mine he's from ottawa he's a physio and he is one of my favorite humans to have deep conversations with because uh he's a good critical thinker so stoked for this one thanks for coming this morning Thanks for having me. So Critical Conversations is all about unpacking topics, digging into the nuance and dissecting concepts that get sort of butchered and become confusing on platforms like social media or, you know, the Google and YouTube universes. And, um, you know, I think one thing to quickly reiterate is the definition of critical thinking before we dig into posture. So the one that I have written is the analysis of, of the facts to form a judgment, the unbiased analysis of evidence. And, you know, it it requires you to be skeptical and seek diverse perspectives, which I think is important. And, you know, it's about the discovery of truth without identifying with a certain position. So that's, I think, one thing where if you go in with a preconceived notion that you know exactly what it is, you're not really going to be able to apply critical thinking to put everything to the test. So we're going to apply all these principles today. And the, the, the concept we're talking about is posture. And this is one that there seems to be confusion um, a lot of confusion amongst both rehab professionals and the public. So hopefully we can sort of dispel a lot of the myths and give a little bit of context to a topic that, uh, is important to understand, but is maybe not, um, maybe not understood in the, in the most, uh, broad way that gives the best context. So why don't we start by defining posture? Yeah. So there, there's different definitions that you can find. And if you just look at like a simple dictionary definition, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, not something that covers everything that we That's want. That's very limiting. Uh, but it's the position in which someone holds their body when standing or sitting. That's one of the ones I found. <laughs> so that's, no, one of the things that, that's in that is position. So we'll, we'll get into that because posture and position are go hand in hand. Yeah, I think there's some um, not, I seriously use them as synonymous now after starting to do this research is like posture and position mean the same thing. And even the root of the word posture is the Latin verb ponere, which means to put or place. So it really, posture just means position. And, you know, there's infinite positions that can be adopted for humans based on, you know, the number of joints we have, the degrees of freedom of each joint. 
And if you're going really micro with the measurement using your um, measurement unit you're using in terms of the change of position, there's infinite postures, there's infinite mm. positions we can adopt. And yeah. So I think it's important that we add, um, yeah, it's kind of the, either the maintenance of a desired position or control of your position uh, through movement. So kind of the combination of static and dynamic postures and that dictionary definition just talked about the static. It was just like, how are you sitting or how are you standing? Right. And just static in those two positions. I mean, there's a bunch of other positions um, that we can be static in, but um, adding the dynamic component is really key. And once we talk about posture from a developmental standpoint, that kind of becomes more clear because yeah. it really is linked with movement. So when you're moving around, how are you maintaining your structure so you can do things with integrity as opposed to like fall over or not do the thing that you're trying to do? Yeah. And I think a lot of people view posture um, to mean sort of an idealized position of your body or like ideal alignment of your joints. And I'm not really a fan of that definition because it's you know, ideal according to who, what makes it ideal? What are you actually doing? You know, once we talk about efficiency, um, then we can talk about like, there is more ideal ways of like biomechanically doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is essentially what we're trying to do as we develop our motor skills as a baby and as a human all the way through, we're trying to trial and error, troubleshoot, um, different ways of doing things to accomplish what we want to do in the world. Um, and along the way, we'll find a lot of ones that don't really work for us mm -hmm. and, and we'll fall on our face a lot. And then we'll find ones that work better than others. And those tend to be postures and positions that, that allow us to do things, goal oriented things, right. um, primarily moving our body around and then manipulating objects. And then if we take those that we have learned that are more efficient, we can apply that all the way through our life. And there is, so I would say like there is more efficient ways of doing things like for yeah. instance if i tried to stand with my knees bent to like 30 degrees all the time i'm like <laughs> you know like a wall sit so if yeah. i'm sitting against like if i'm trying to like wall sit myself just been standing standing in my house i'm gonna fry out in like five minutes so right. what i'm gonna try to do is then extend my knees up and extend my hips out and that's just gonna allow me to like more structurally align myself so that i can stand with more like ease of energy like not as much energy requirement and more efficiency yeah, so it's I, like, yeah. But again, I think to your point, there's no perfect positions or perfect alignments out of a textbook. Be like, hey, you need to be in this position or you need to be in this alignment. Right. That's kind of the, the difference. Yeah. And that's the sort of limiting lens. Like if you look, you can't look at humans as statues, right? Like mm -hmm. we're supposed to move. So if you say there's a perfect posture, no. it's like perfect posture for what? For, for, you know, there's, there's a variety of postures that we can adopt. Each one is going to be, is, is contextual. Mm -hmm. Right. So how long are you like it completely negates even something as simple as a time variable. Yeah. Like this posture might be fine if you're using it in a as a as basically one slide in a slideshow of movement. Because yeah. Movement is like a bunch of different position snapshots. So I think it's just and it's it, just, suspicious. it lacks it lacks con context yeah. or contextual sort of consideration if we just say yeah. this is good posture your shoulder aligning with your ear is good that that's what you need it's like well when what are you doing how long are you adopting exactly. that for it's like task specific as well right so it's like when and now it might be really important let's say i'm uh carrying um like you when you see uh, people in Africa carrying like a water jug on their head. Now yep. it might be very important to have yes. a very aligned neck. And I actually tried to carry a paddleboard um, on my head the other day, uh, like the, the uh, deflated paddleboard. And what I found is as soon as I put it on my head, I was forced to like military posture it. Mm. Why? Because I needed to structurally align my neck. So because it, it felt like my neck was just going to get compressed and like blown into. So <laughs> in that position, then that military posture mattered because it was task specific and it helped me carry the thing longer. Right. Um, so that would be, you know, do I need to stand like that same way all the time because it would happen to be more efficient carrying something in my head? No, but right. yeah. So we have to think of it dynamically with context uh, and sort of taking into account the variables of what are you doing? What is the amount of time you're talking about adopting that posture? And cause I, you know, my position is that no posture position is inherently good or bad. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't adopt it statically for long periods of time. And as long as it doesn't exceed your capacity, your mm -hmm. tissue and joint capacity. So there's really no such thing as good or bad posture. If you consider those things, if you're not adopting it for huge periods of time, which is often what we do with yeah. sitting, for example, um, and as long as it doesn't exceed your capacity. So the knee coming in posture is not bad if you're only adopting it for a short period of time and it's not exceeding your capacity and blowing out your ACL. 
Yeah. So it's like we have to have a broader conversation and not look at posture as in a vacuum with humans as statues, but we have to look at posture dynamically and with reference to context always, because if you don't make reference to context, if there's there's not really any information to garner from that conversation. I think um, that's in response to like what we could call the posture police, where if you see it's like you have to be like squatting a certain way all of the time or you right. have to be standing a certain way. Oh, your posture like it's, it's like, no, you can be multiple different things. You can squat with your knees. And but it, but then again, it's nuanced as well, because if you if you have to squat with your knees coming in because you don't have the strength to not do that. Well, then I would argue it's better to probably get the movement options of being able to to do that as well. So it's right. having different options is the key here. Um, it's like if you have to run a certain way because you don't have the, the movement in your ankles, well, then I would argue you should maybe work on that so you can run in, in different ways as well. So, yeah. It's, so it's almost like it's less about the perfect posture that you need and more about what positions are you not able to access and if those are biomechanically efficient positions, you need to work to access those and try and use those depending on the movement right. you're doing. Yeah. Or it's good for you to be able to access those because it just gives you, again, more postural options over time. Yeah. So like the baby who has all of the options in the world because they have all the mobility that they need, they have all the potential options to explore and find out which ones are the best. So the, ideally, they run into like the ones that are better and then they use those over time. Um, and then they like kind of throw out the ones, not necessarily for good. They might still use them, but again, it's all task related. Yeah. So maybe so. let's talk about them. Let's start by talking about the myth of, of perfect posture, because I think this is, um, you know, optimal or perfect or the best posture or something that gets thrown around a lot. And, uh, I don't think it exists. It's kind of like saying the perfect movement, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have this massive capacity for having variety of movement. No two humans will move the same way. They might look like they do, but if you actually look at all the joint positions and lever arms, muscle activation, it's all different. And yeah. so, you know, I don't know, it's a weird tool that in the rehab world, we sort of use to create an unintentional notion of never ending work. It's like, we have to work on your posture. You have yeah. to work on your posture. It's like, you know, it's also, I always found it weird that we're taught to identify and diagnose poor posture. We're taught how to quote unquote treat it, but we're taught very little about the causes of why those imbalances develop and how to get people to understand how to avoid overdosing on the wrong positions every day, which is causing these fixed imbalances that then remove people's position options. So it's, I don't know, it's really weird. It's less about optimal posture and more about your ability or inability to adopt certain positions. Yeah. And there's no, I think we, once you tip into like talking about efficiency, then there is a spectrum of more efficient positions and ways to do things again, t being task specific. Right. So and it, it, all you need to do is run thought experiments on the extremes. So like if I try to ram my knees together as I squat, it, it hurts. So I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to do that. And I can't lift a lot of weight that way. And if my goal yeah. is to lift weight, then uh, that's not a good option for me. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm not saying it's inherently bad because you could probably work on doing that better over time if that was your goal for some reason. Right. Um, so again, that would be maybe when we talk about the, the goal or value of, of exploring postures that are textbookly uh, efficient. Um, because we can become more robust there as well, which might be a good thing. Textbookly inefficient, you mean? Um, which aren't, yes. So right. which aren't efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, uh, yeah, at the end, we'll definitely talk about tr the value of training improper alignment yeah. as a way to defend you against injuries if you ever are forced to experience that improper alignment. Edo Portal says it um, has a has a great like two minute clip on that. So anyway, we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. So like back to that, like perfect posture, I think there is a spectrum, even though there's no perfect way of doing things. There's a, if we talk about efficiency, there's a spectrum of, of positions that are probably better for any given task that we're trying to do. Right. And those can be discovered personally by trial and error motor learning, which, which you again, we're going to develop in a second. That's essentially what will bring you to the spectrum of better positions by practice and trial right. and error over time. So therefore, just using those and having a bunch of those different spectrums for different tasks are, is probably going to be good over time. If you if you actually mindfully move your body around through through the world and kind of take care of your movement system. Um, and the other thing would be, are you listening to the sensory information that you're getting from the postures that you're putting yourselves into? Mm -hmm. So sensory information is going to come in the form of like, if I try to thought experiment, if I if I extend my neck and poke my chin out as far as I can as I'm on the computer, I can only hang out for like 
let's say five minutes before it actually starts to hurt or become uncomfortable. Right. So that's my body saying, Hey, your inner position or a posture, we can call it that is causing you to hurt, or it's just, it's sending you signals. Like you might want to move here. <laughs> okay. um, so then therefore I'm listening and saying, okay, I gotta, I gotta move that. Um, and if I'm trying to, you know, stand in this extended posture, like a, like a banana that starts to hurt my blowback. Um, and then, so that's just cues from my body and all of its proprioceptors uh, and skin receptors and muscle stretch receptors saying like, we don't like being here for too long. So could you please move a little bit? Well, I think that brings up a good point is the differentiation between static posture and dynamic posture, because you can Mm -hmm. poke your neck out as far as you want and you might not get pain. If you experience that position for a second, Mm -hmm. you might, that banana position might feel fine for a second, but when you extrapolate that over time, you know, this is where the concept of good posture taken through a static lens is kind of lazy because it implies there's a correct way to be still. And the overarching assumption is that there is no correct way to be still because we're not designed to be still mm-hmm. and, st- and being still is, or you know, tissues need mechanical stimulation um, to stay healthy. Joints need require motion to stay healthy. So, th- you know, we focus on the best way to be still when the question we should be asking is, should we even be being still for a long period of time? Well, then you enter this whole field of ergonomics, which is designed to actually allow us to be still longer before we feel discomfort. <laughs> yeah, it's so, problematic. So we add more cushions and support and bracing. So it's saying, hey, we're going to brace you in this position that your sens- sensory receptors would tell you it's not going to be in. <laughs> so you can stay there longer and not get the sensation until later. Um, so again, it, it's kind of interesting how we look at things because a lot of our world is based on being static and in one position a lot. Um, but then again, maybe at the end, we'll talk about ways to make your workstation and life more dynamic so that you can actually have the option to explore different positions. Right. So Um, we should replace ergonomic with, um, movement nutrition enhancing because mm -hmm. it's, it, I never really thought about that, that concept until like right now where it's, there is so much money being spent on ergonomic furniture or like, what does ergonomic actually mean? It means putting your body in supposed optimal static positions. Yeah. So like so it, you can it, spend longer there. It's kind of like you have, you have two targets and you're throwing darts at it. We're trying to get really, really good at hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. Yeah. Like <laughs> we need to aim at the movement target. This is not, this doesn't align with our physiology. And it's, um, you know, we had a whole thing on ergonomics in physio school and people and the amount of ergonomic widgets or products out there is probably billions of dollars mm-hmm. because it sort of captures people's desire to get out of pain by by essentially selling you the false premise that this thing, this invention will help your back feel better because it'll help keep you in better alignment. Yeah. It's like you're missing the, more you're more missing the point, bro. We need to move more. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I just want to touch on like that posture and pain though, since we're talking about it. Is That's like, what I had next to. Yeah. So it's like, it depends on what, so there's no direct relationship, but we can use these little examples. Like for example, when I sit in a car and I drive six hours in a car, by the end of it, my back is starting to like, could you, would you call it pain? I don't know. Would you call like, it's achy. It's you're stiff. Uncomfortable. It's tired. It's uncomfortable. It's right. screaming at me to move, move, move because you're stuck in the same seat for long. I'm moving around in my seat, trying to move as much as I can. I'm trying to get out at rest stops. So that's kind of happening. So in the, even in within six hours, that posture has caused me that sensation and you could call it pain or whatever you want. Um, so, okay. Did posture cause pain? Well, yeah, it did right there. And then it, again, it was back to that cue to move. So you can extrapolate that out over time. And, it, and it's not like, you know, somebody comes in with chronic low back pain. Is the, the fact that they sit directly causing it? Well, maybe or maybe not. It's like we don't have any, you know, people are like, well, we don't have any direct studies that show that, you know, it's right. like, okay, fine. And we're not saying that that because you're not in this ideal position that you're going to get in, in pain. There's no like direct relationship. Well, like my favorite analogy that went through my brain in terms of the you know, two things. Does posture um, correlate with pain? It's kind of like saying, does alcohol correlate with a hangover? And if I have one beer, it doesn't correlate with a hangover. If I adopt a posture, a certain position for a short period of time, it's not going to cause me pain. But if I drink a case of 20 beers, I'm going to get hungover as shit. Mm -hmm. If I adopt one position for 10 hours straight, I'm going to be uncomfortable. Especially when your body's telling you to not do that. So asking whether posture and pain correlate is the wrong question. It's like asking whether alcohol and, and a hangover correlate. It all depends on the dose. Mm -hmm. So it's a lazy question because it's not, it actually doesn't explore the required context in order for you to actually have a meaningful discussion. Yeah. So, and the other thing too, is like people say, oh, look at this person. You can, you can 
essentially make a case to, to look at a person that's like crazy kyphotic, yeah, shoulders are rolled in, neck is all jacked up and say, yeah, this person doesn't have pain. Okay, what's your time scale? Because they might not have pain yet, but gravity is unrelenting. Like event, I would have a tough time believing that that person will never have pain if they don't change their sort of static position. Now, you could also say that maybe they have just, maybe they, they've limited their movement options so much that they they like they can only play in that limited playing field of yep. mobility so that maybe who knows, maybe they never do, or maybe they have just discomfort the, or whatever. The lack it of is. movement is eventually going to catch up with you, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going to live in our movement options and it's going to, it's probably going to, I mean, if you try to, let's say you have uh, 120 degrees of shoulder mobility and you're super kyphotic and you try to, to rapidly reach your arm up to catch a ball that's at 180 degrees overhead. Well, that doesn't work. Like, so I'm <laughs> not mean, catching that ball, you know, and could you say, is that a cause of pain? Well, I don't know, maybe, or maybe not. Like you might actually tear your shoulder out or you might not. Yeah. But, um, but again, it's just limiting in terms of your movement options. And, yeah. um, and then it's the question is, well, why would, why would you not want to work on posture? Even regardless, I think that the biggest thing here is that we're so po pain focused as well. Right. That, that pain schema just takes over. Well, okay. Well, regardless of whether it causes pain or not, does it make you feel better? Does it allow you to move more? Is it more, does it allow you to be more efficient? Do it, like all of these things combined would make, would make it seem like, well, why don't we work on it anyways? Because I don't care if it causes pain or not. It makes me feel better. Right. Like pain is a shit metric. It, people it's shit. It's like so it, It's such a delayed metric where it's like, our body's just too resilient to rely on pain as the main metric for determining whether we should or shouldn't be doing something. You have yeah. to look at gross function and just exactly. like take a step back and don't focus on pain because it's so it's leading you to the ask the wrong questions. The the question of does posture and pain correlate is the wrong question to yeah. ask. It simply exactly. is. Like I like being able to reach overhead and do things. Like I like being able to like hang from something or like put dishes into the highest counter. Yeah. Like that's and good. as a human, you and, should be able to. Yeah, and it just because if I didn't have that, like you could call it the positions or you call it mobility or the position to be able to do that, then I wouldn't be able to do that thing. Would I have pain? I don't care. I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But right. um, again, it's back to that function and that and, and that like ability to just do things in the world. <laughs> like, a good analogy that just came into my head was like, if you have a flat tire, you can probably drive and grind down your rim for like five kilometers, yeah. right? So getting from A to B is like what we're focusing on. If there's no pain, oh, I still got from A to B. Yeah, but you destroyed your car. Like it does. it doesn't actually matter if you're if you like, it doesn't matter if you have pain or not, if your function is shit and you're doing things that are if, taking a toll on your body, that's what we need to focus on. Not yeah. whether you got from A to B, but like, how'd you get there? Oh, did you destroy your car in the process? Well, maybe that matters way more. Yeah, exactly. So, um, right. development, developmental approach. Yeah. Cause I think that's a nice way to start looking at posture. We've talked a lot about like the, how posture is typically looked at in terms of like static positions and what people, the average person thinks of as posture. Yeah. When you look into the developmental kinesiology research or just human development, motor learning research, what posture means is it's, it's basically um, control of our bodies in order to move to higher stages of movement development and to do more things over time. So it's like, it's fundamental to acquiring support and stability at each stage of development. So right. we're, we're, we're on our back, we're laying, um, we're born as, as, as babies, even just to lift our heads up requires a certain, um, coordination and co-contraction of muscles through our torsos and our trunks to be able to actually lift our head and start looking around at things. So that's number one. So right? dynamic posture is almost a, it's like an orchestra. It's not just a static frame of no. like taking a picture. It's like, can you coordinate the orchestra of your nervous system, your joints, and your muscular system to yeah. achieve the desired outcome, which oftentimes neurodevelopmentally is task-based? Can I reach for yeah. this? Can I look here? Exactly. Interesting. So we're really like, this is an obvious example. Once a baby is able to sit upright, even the once they learn how to sit, even, even raising their arm up or moving their head too quickly can cause them to fall over. So they're trying to do things again with their arm or their head, look around, for example, pick things up. Um, and that's, they don't have the postural integrity to be able to support themselves. So they fall over. Mm -hmm. So tied in with that is like balance. So we don't like literally fall over as we're trying to do things in the world. So do they have the postural support or postural capabilities to be able to hold that position that they want, which it in that case tends to be somewhat of an erect posture so they can then manipulate objects in their environment. Right. And then we take that further into like crawling can a baby start to move around when they first start to crawl? It takes this coordination of 
again, these core muscles and deep muscles. And again, we're not going to isolate out any muscles. It's a bunch of, it's the whole system, right? Whole systems working to create a stable torso so that they can then move around. And again, that stable torso is in a scale and in a spectrum as well, but can they actually crawl? And then can they crawl faster and more efficiently over time as they practice it? So do they have the postural integrity to be able to move themselves around and crawling? Then we bring it up to standing. So a baby can't even stand on its two feet because when, when they're developing over time, basically the whole task is to to try to create an integrity over smaller and smaller bases of support, right? We, we go from like laying on ground, the whole body's in contact to like four limbs to, to three limbs to two limbs. Mm-hmm. And then we go around to one limb because walking is on one limb to the other limb. Running is even smaller periods of time or points of contact on one limb. So it's like, can we... And again, when a baby tries to stand for the first time, everything's moving around until they find, okay, whatever I did there, that helped me to stabilize. And then, okay, let's do more of that, less of the thing that didn't work. And and then, oh, when I start walking now, I fall on my face again. So now it's a dynamic. We go from static to dynamic. Yeah. And and one concept I want to just unpack slightly there is the concept. I talked about this recently with a, like a professional athlete strength conditioning coach. And one thing, and it was in relation to the beam, and I, I talked about something uh, that I call data throughput. So the amount of data that you get in allows you to simply have a bigger data set to run experiments through and identify optimal uh, alignment or optimal muscle contraction. So a baby, for example, is going to try a thousand different strategies, or let, let's just make it simpler, a hundred different strategies to reach for something. And they're going to see the ones that were really, really efficient, the ones that were slightly efficient, the ones that were terrible, where they fell. And having that broad spectrum of data allows them to then choose the optimal one to hit control save on and use in future. And when you're on a beam, you're essentially flailing everywhere. So you're having this massive massive influx of data coming in as to whether or not that specific like microscopic second alignment and muscle contraction was an effective strategy to stop you from falling over. And you explore a shit ton of these data sets. And you eventually are able to find the optimal one. And that's what balance is. Balance is the discovery, the dynamic discovery of the optimal position and muscle contraction to stop you from falling. And like you said, that can apply to sitting, standing, like anything, balancing on one leg. And yeah, I think we just, and and essentially babies are playing. They're Mm -hmm. playing with, with uh, experiments. They're yes. They're, they're being very. So one of the key concepts is they're being very mindful and, and they're, they're adding like awareness to the, to this because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, they're very involved in what they're trying to do movement wise. So that's a requirement. If we aren't, if we're just haphazardly not paying attention to anything we're doing, we're not going to run these experiments as well. And we're not going to figure out better ways to do things if, uh, over time. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, the baby's running these experiments. Babies are mindful. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, a, true. it's very mindful because that's their sole focus is to develop and they develop, develop uh, very rapidly over the course of like, like they're sitting at six months, they're walking at around like anywhere from eight to eight months to like 16 to 18 months. And, um, but then you just talked about like different bases of support. So we add like a balance beam in, or we add different objects in the, in the baby's environment. They have to crawl over something or, or walk mm-hmm. over something. Again, you're, it's the same concept. Can we, can we choose postures um, or can we maintain postures uh, that allow us to do the task and, uh, and accomplish it? And that's what the back to posture, that's what posture is. Are we maintaining our, our position dynamically as we move about? Right. And then you get into running and sports and doing all of these all, uh, complex things. Yeah, they're very complex. So, so yeah. Because you're right, babies, you know, you mentioned when we were chatting before, babies essentially go from a blob. Yeah. Right. A blob of flesh and muscles that have no idea how to align the the scale, the framework of this being to essentially humans that are highly coordinated machines that are capable of complex movements that we can't even MIT people at MIT can't even create learning systems that allow robots to do this. And yet a baby does this by just literally every day. Their only job is to curiously through a playful lens, explore movement options in order to improve their independence and their ability to do things and go places. Exactly. It's crazy. They're basically mindful movement machines. Yeah. So, so the cool. environment's the driver, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is that what I found interesting, if you look into the motor control research, the first, the first bit before they actually use their environment to drive their, their movement as much, like we're talking, I forget if it was like the first month or it was like the very first part of their motor development 
they will flail and they will just move around randomly and they start to move their limbs around and all of this stuff. And you'll see that babies do that. And what the, the theory is that they're trying to just like basically update or, or like populate their software and get their limbs moving in all different ways and directions so that they can yeah. figure out like, Oh, all, all of these parts and all of these areas can move and they can just, so before, and then once they can do that, then they start to really connect vision with it. And then it's the environment is the driver to all of it. It is so interesting. Like I, most of my family probably thought I was weird. Cause when I was with, when I was watching Jackson, my brother's son, um, who is about, he's about a year old now, as I was watching him, like at the dinner table, I would just stare at him and observe him. And you could see massive amounts of sort of thoughts going through his brain about experimenting with movement. Like for example, he would grab a fork and he'd grab it in some weird way and try and lift something and it would fall. And he'd lift it again, it would fall. He'd do that like five times. And then he would change his grip slightly <laughs> and he would lift it and it worked. And that's that he just, he's like, oh shit, this works. So I'm gonna hit control save on that. Yeah. That's how he used the fork. Yeah. And he does that with every single thing he's grasping, touching, interacting with. It's so interesting to see a baby human evolve their yeah. movement capacity. It's very intriguing. No, that and that's that's it. Like that's that's what we are at. And then but the problem is that once you can actually and it, like doctors are very aware of this as we develop. And, and if you don't have uh, if you're not at a certain milestone by a certain range of times, it's cause for concern. Mm-hmm. You'll bring your baby to the doctor. Oh, like my baby can't walk. It's been two years. What's going on? Right. Um, so this is very, and it's like, we're talking like just a few months of time. We're very concerned, but then it's like, once they can walk, then, okay, everything's good. Now we, we stop paying attention to all of it. And well, ju- it mattered then. So it still matters now. And it matters at every age. Why would you, why would it not matter after you can do things? Right. If you just don't do the activities over time, you're, you're not going to maintain the ability to do them. So can you imagine if we took the same level of concern if a baby can't walk at two years to if you go into the doctor's office doctor says can you show me what your squat looks like and you can't squat and they're like well what's going on yeah. you used to be able to squat now you can't we need yeah. to fix that that's yeah. a problem oh, that's like a prime imagine that that same level of seriousness was taken um oh you can't even reach above your head you can't reach behind your back yeah. you can't even turn your head that way yeah oh, we need to fix that but yeah. instead it's like oh it hurts here's something to deal with the pain see ya well, that's an example crazy regardless of whether it causes pain or not. Again, people will say, well, that doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about that before. Um, but it's like, you should really still for the integrity of your, for the health of your movement system and your being, you should be able to do these things. And if we took it a step further, like, you know, even a complex motor skill, like walking on a, on a two by four or something like something very easy at the start, it's like a baby or not, not like a kid, probably around like three years of age, two two years of age even would be able to do that right so it's like okay a two-year-old can do that and we've checked the box and that's like those higher level skills that <laughs> and we you've look lost at. that as an can adult. you do this now no why why can't you do that um and then again once the adult gets on there and they start to learn and do the same thing that the baby did they start to acquire the skills to do it and then they same thing it's like, the same system yeah imagine yeah. if we essentially identified and treated function and capacity instead of pain that's yeah. a completely different shift that's that is the way to sustainably help people understand this stuff. And it's not, it's like a flawed model in medicine where we just over-focus on things that are lagging indicators. And if you can't, if you don't have pain, it's not a problem. It doesn't yeah. matter if you can't squat, if you can't do shit in terms of the spectrum of human movement. Uh, do you have pain? No. Okay. You're good. Come to me when you have pain is basically what the system, the message that the current system puts out there. And yeah. it's like very flawed. It's no wonder everyone's in pain. Yeah, and it's yeah. very like low. Um, the bar is set so low <laughs> right. because it's like, it. and like, why can't we talk about performance at all too? Like, as a let's say a rehab professional or even a like a doctor or somebody involved with like the physical body, why can't we talk about baseline performance? Well, what is your definition of performance? Because so, I think people automatically have a flawed definition of it. So there's better, like performance uh, takes into account like efficiency and like being the term better at something is, again, you could, you could break that apart, but it's like, there's better ways to, so if you go to, let's again, go to the highest level, sprinting coach, Mm -hmm. Olympic sprinting coach, they are so concerned with their athletes position, posture, mobility, uh, technique, everything. They'll break it apart to, and guess what? The ones who are the best at that and they show that in the in the race day win because they're better at, at organizing their body, producing power, 
everything aligns well so that they can demonstrate that movement that they're training for to the highest level. So if we scale that all the way down and you're just a, you know, a um, recreational runner, well, why wouldn't you want to, even though people argue, well, you know, running a certain way doesn't necessarily cause pain. Who cares? Why wouldn't you want to focus a little bit more on Why wouldn't you want to be better? <laughs> if you're, let's say, yeah, if your hips moved a little bit more or if you practiced um, these things and, and the, these coordination drills, you would be able to run a little better, just like the athlete who's training the same things at the high level. Right. So we should be looking at these things a little bit too. It's just not a matter of like, well, you're not falling on your face, so you're good, or you're not in pain, so you're good. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's it's low such bar. a low bar. Yeah. And even performance, it's like, okay, people think performance, they think elite sport performance. Yeah. Um, what they don't think of is humaning performance. Yeah. Like being able to perform as a human means you have a lower risk of getting injured, means you have a higher ability to be resilient if you do face challenge, means you're able to have a long longevity of joint function and, and strength. Like human performance doesn't have to mean sport, specific no. sports at the elite level. Competing. It can just mean like what's your function level? Yeah. Like what what is your ability to withstand challenges? Because if you don't think there's ever going to be challenges, uh, you're you're living in la la land, yeah. and so like you may as well build resilience and capacity so that if you ever do meet those challenges, you're able to not fall apart. Yeah, why can't that be the bar? And yeah, exactly. Like that's a good way of putting it. Is just uh, well, overall. that is the bar that you use in the clinic. Yeah, right. Well, and we I use think, that. The function is our bar, and 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 like, and again, it's goal dependent on the person. But a lot of people, once you start talking about these things, they they don't re, they haven't really thought about them. So mm -hmm. you could so you can discover. People will discover that, oh, they can actually get better at something that they like to do already. That's good because then we can do more of it. We can train to be better at it and we love doing it. So why not get better at it? Right. Um, so, so we can do that in all aspects of like even like gardening. So if you improve your mobility in your, in your hips and ankles and you improve your squat and your ground mobility, um, you know what, you're going to be able to garden for longer and you're not going to be as achy as, as long when you, when you get into these positions, you'll have more positions to explore when you're doing gardening and you like gardening. So that's great. So why wouldn't you want to be better at gardening? So that's performance in gardening. Yeah. If you can hardly bend yeah. over cause you're super stiff, well, you can still garden and it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have pain, but if you like gardening, why not get better at gardening? Right. So it's the whole thing is, is kind of like, we're looking at the wrong target as we talked about and the pain, the pain target seems to be the, the biggest thing. Right. Um, and it's yeah. like, you know, I, I think there's this big systemic um, lack of purpose where a lot of people don't find a sense of purpose with maybe what they're doing at work. Right. They see work as something they need to do to make money to pay their bills, but it really doesn't fulfill them and give them a sense of purpose. What other thing to focus on that would give you a lifelong sense of purpose than health? Right. Yeah. I like to do these activities. I'm going to find purpose in doing putting in the work to get better at those activities so I can do them longer and without pain. Like health is That's this fulfilling. never ending well of purpose. You just have to be able to understand it to the point where you can direct that energy towards whatever purpose you have. And guess what? Once you, once you nail all the mobility and strength required for gardening, what else do you like to do? What yeah. else could you potentially want to do? Humans thrive and are mentally healthy with challenge. If you're static, if you're staying still, you, you essentially get depressed, right? Whether that's, if you don't feel like you're moving forward and advancing in life, you're not going to have a very good mental state because humans require challenge to thrive. They require themselves to see that they have autonomy and they, they're having forward motion. So yeah, learn find purpose new, in health and learn new motor skills. Like that's what it's all about. The guard, you go from gardening to something else, learn, pick up something and just start. And again, that ties right back into posture. You're going to discover different postures that work for the new thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and those are now going to be a part of your capabilities. You're going to have, a, and that's what it's all about is variety of postures and being able to do a bunch of different things and not just having one or two that you're in all day. Right. Um, yeah. So, and then one, one, another thing along those lines is that once we stress test your pot, a good way to stress test your posture is through load. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing because we've talked about being unloaded the whole time. But as soon as I put, well, I talked about it with the um, carrying something on my head. Now, now I find, oh, that's a better posture to, to carry that in. So there is better postures. Mm -hmm. um, now, if I put a heavy weight in my hand, my core and my body and my hips and all of the different muscles have to do specific things to keep me from getting tipped over and cranked to my side. Now, when I start walking with it, that happens to happen dynamically as well. Right. So now if I bring my shoulder back and I find that I'm more balanced there and I stand up straighter and I do something with my pelvis and I 
organize my body a certain way and I feel stronger and I can do it longer. Mm-hmm. Well, you could argue that's a better posture to carry that in. Right. It's more if efficient. I do the opposite of that and I crank my back into a, a banana shape and I, and then I, and I burn out and my like, and, I, and it hurts kind of, well, it's not bad. It's not the end of the world. But, but again, if it's motor learning, why wouldn't you use the one that feels better and you can do longer? Right. It was so a less efficient position. It was less efficient. Yeah. So anything else you want to chat about neurodevelopmental stuff? Um, I think that's pretty, pretty good. Cause I want to bring up the question of does posture matter? Because this is something that you see riddled on social media. And we talked about how yeah. the people who are seeing more controversial, polarized, extreme viewpoints are actually the people who get um, more exposure on things like social media and YouTube because of the algorithms they run. Right. And it's a, it's, it's sort of like, it's a big problem because the people who are having the most meaningful conversations oftentimes don't get promoted as much because they're, they don't have the ability to, the sensational stuff captures your attention better. Therefore it gets promoted in algorithms more. And so it seems like either oh does posture matter or posture doesn't matter it's like these two tribes fighting where in reality it's like the important (laughs) conversations are the ones in the middle where it's like well let's talk about it and And matter for what like you said exactly it's almost like that alcohol um analogy is is also works really well here is alcohol bad for you well it depends if you have a glass of wine with dinner every day turns out that might be good for you If you drink 10 beers a day, it's probably going to be bad for you. So does it matter or not? Is alcohol good for you or not? Wrong question to be asking because it involves zero depth in the conversation. Yeah. So So. does, does posture matter? Well, it doesn't, doesn't, we just talked about a lot of things that would suggest that it does matter for the things that we talked that it mattered for. Right. So yes, it does matter. Now, does it matter directly for pain? We already talked about that. Well, not necessarily, but maybe Right. if I hold my finger back as far as it goes for five minutes, it's going to really hurt. So it might even cause short-term pain. I'm going to learn to not do that. That's a posture. (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) that's a good example. Actually, this, the car example, if I'm sitting for six hours that hurt my, that hurts my back. So I don't like doing that. So try to get out, try to move all that. So, so it it always depends on dose and situational demands. Yes. And when you don't explore those two nuances, the question of does posture matter actually means nothing in terms of its weight of, of, it doesn't matter what answer you give, unless you dig into those variables. Um, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. So I think when we talk about, let's, let's focus less on being polarized on whether it matters or not and talk about when does it matter? When does it not matter? What does matter even mean? Does it have to do with pain? Does it have to do with function? Does it have to do with moving a massive load? Cause you're an Olympic weightlifter. Like there are circumstances where it does matter and it doesn't matter. And if you don't make reference to those, you're wasting your breath. Or where it matters even more than other. So it might matter. The spectrum of matter might might be narrower and narrower or wider. And like it might matter a, a lot when you're at the highest level of sport. It might yeah. posture might be the thing that actually wins you a gold medal or not. Right. That's a good point. Right? But then the person who's just trying to run recreationally, it still would matter, but it doesn't matter to that extent. Yeah. So it, the, the scale of matter is just changing all the yeah. time too. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't actually matter for pain. Again, it's matter for what matter for, does it feel good now? How about like, can you, it even matters for things like breathing. So like if I'm bent over in a ball and I try to take a deep breath, it it sucks. And I have to change the way I breathe. Mm -hmm. If I orient my body in a certain way, I can breathe more freely and expand my rib cage and my, and use my diaphragm. So it even matters for things like breathing. It, It also matters for things like feeling good. If I, if I'm in a, in a bent over posture, like if I'm just up tall and walking around and like with a sense of confidence that matters for the way I feel even. And there's even been yeah. studies on a neurological or a neurochemical level that when you adopt these open postures, you actually are releasing more like testosterone and neurochemicals that, right. right. So it matters there too. So it makes me feel a certain way. If I walk like in a sulking negative way with my head down, <laughs> that makes me feel that way too. Sulking. So it, it matters. It matters for that. It matters for a bunch of things. Yeah, right. I agree. So yeah. and even, you know, this almost leads into another parallel question, joint alignment, you know, joint alignment does matter. Your yeah. ability to center your joint does matter. Why does it matter? Because the position of your joints affects your ability to recruit and contract the right muscles. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, it, we're getting into almost word semantics because joint alignment and position, like what's the difference between those two, right? It's almost like joint alignment. You're talking about more specific. You can talk about it at a systemic level of all your joints. You can talk about it at a local level of a specific joint, right? And we can even take the, the uh, case of the shoulder, if your shoulder is, if the ball is significantly shifted forward in the socket, because that's where you spend most of your life and you've adapted to the point where the muscles in front have shortened and the muscles in back have lengthened, 
you no longer have a balanced enough relationship of your rotator cuff for it to fire optimally. Are you going to have pain? Maybe not. If you try and reach behind you, do you have a higher likelihood of blasting your rotator cuff? Certainly. Mm -hmm. So joint alignment does matter from the position that centration is the optimal position that we should be seeking. It's, it's what's going to allow the most optimal function and reduce the likelihood of injury. So, you know, and it's that spectrum too. It's like you, getting it into a relatively better position is going to be helpful for you to do things. Like if you're showing somebody how to, to do like a, a barbell or a, like a bent over row with a dumbbell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Showing them how to like engage their, uh, their body first, like their shoulder blade first and pull with their body as opposed to just pulling with their arm right. and, and bringing their shoulder into a better position as they're working through the natural row, like a lawnmower. Um, that's going to feel better. And when people do that, they're like, Oh, that just feels, that feels really good. And mm-hmm. guess what? I'm stronger. Right. So it, it, like you said, it may not matter for pain necessarily, but if it feels stronger and it feels more natural and then they can move more weight and they like moving weight, then that, also matters yeah and once again shift the conversation to performance instead of pain and it gives you a completely different set of data to base success or failure on um and a lot of times like you mentioned before if you use load as a way to stress test your positioning yeah it's actually a beautiful way to find optimal positioning or optimal posture dynamically um, because it's just your feedback is efficiency it's no like how easy was it how smooth was it to move that load instead of pain yeah, uh, which is a significantly better metric because the most efficient position is also the position that's going to mitigate your likelihood of getting pain and injured. Yeah. So well, that's important to say too. Even on a short term, and we could even poke into the, the pain conversation too, because oftentimes I'll give somebody a, a, like a couple kettlebells to carry or a kettlebell to carry when they have some back pain. And oftentimes I'll hear, oh, that like my back, like the, it'll, it'll fire their back up a little bit. And then we'll play around with positions. We'll say, try to you know, change your position a bit, let them experiment. I'm like, oh, right. it actually doesn't hurt when I carry it this way. Uh-huh. Boom, right? So so now we can actually enter the pain conversation and be like, well, how come it, it didn't hurt when we carried it that way, whatever you just did? And it did hurt when, when you carried it the other way before. And then so like, it wasn't oh, the it load. better. It, it wasn't the load, it was the position. It was the position and they got into a, you could, you know, argue better position, whatever whatever the difference in position was, it, it, it took away that acute, that like immediate pain that they felt and then it also happens usually to make them stronger there too. So then we, we use that, then they learn from that and then they, well, so this is like one of the most important differentiators of, of, in terms of rehab, you're using pain as a tool to teach someone how to reinterpret their body. Yeah. Right. The amount of people that come into the, that I would see in the clinic when I was in there and they're like, yeah, I was told not to lift. Yeah. Told not to lift things because it's, I could hurt myself. It's like, well, if you never lift things, you're never going to learn how to lift yeah. things and humans need to lift things at some point in their life. So teaching someone in a safe environment with you there and having conversations about, well, it hurts because your joint alignment was such that you were causing an issue. You were causing yeah. some signal to relay discomfort because it's in a suboptimal position. And then and that's the next the conversation stops usually. So if right. I pass the person, if the, you know, we see this a lot, you pass somebody the weights and say, Oh, that hurts. So, okay, don't, let's not do that today. Right. That's where it ends. <laughs> right. So what we need to do is say, well, maybe we can, you know, there is a conversation of playing around with, maybe we should start with a lighter weight and that might mm-hmm. be, but that's getting into the nitty gritty. You might, but it's like, instead of saying, let's not do that, let's do that more because that's telling us something, that thing that we right. just did caused it. So let's explore that more. Oh, we found a way to do it that didn't hurt as much. Great. That, and then we do that for a bunch of other things. And that empowers them with a massive sense of confidence. So that they've, if they ever experience pain in their own life, they know, well, I shouldn't not go towards this thing. I need to start to explore options. W- options. Mm-hmm. And that is such a powerful learning experience where you are giving them, you're teaching them the fish instead of giving them the fish. Yeah. And that's a serious paradigm shift that we don't talk about in physio school. No. Right. We don't talk about using load. We don't talk about um, experience, giving a controlled experience of pain to give pain context. Right. Mm-hmm. We're just like, well, do not hurt anyone. It's like, well, we're not hurting them. We're allowing them to experience a sensation that they've disconnected from in terms of the meaning. And that's very important. We need to eliminate the fear associated with the pain. It yes. scares everybody. It scares the, the clinician. It scares the person. Everyone's scared of pain. Everyone, no one wants to go near pain and we need to go into the pain. We need to figure out the pain uh, and we need to disconnect the fear and the emotion from the pain. And then we can learn from the pain and just improve understanding of what pain is. Yeah. Because if it's something that's scary that I need to get rid of at all costs, uh, that's a terrible way to frame pain. And it's going to carry over to their entire life where they're going to be scared. They're going to be avoid having avoidance strategies for everything. And guess what? If you avoid things that hurt, 
and more and more things start to hurt. You avoid more and more things and eventually you're not left with very many options. You shrink, you don't grow. Right. And so, yeah, that's a, I almost need to think about that concept more because that is a, you know, it's almost like we have to reinvent a set of guidelines of how we do rehab to expand the, our ability to help people, right? So that people can seek help and get a movement screen or be put to the test under load to identify problems that they can work on before they experience pain. Mm-hmm. That is the path to preventing injuries. And that is the path to empowering people with knowledge about their bodies instead of just telling them what to do, thinking that you can fix their bodies. And through all of this, movement is the input that's required to actually run the experiments. So the ingredient is right. the movement that you layer into the different situations or apply load to. Um, yeah, so th- a lot of people just aren't adding the ingredient of movement into their lives enough to run the appropriate experiments. Right. They don't have any data them. throughput. No, that's what it is. So yeah. I think just lack of lack of movement in general, uh, and then you could say lack of postures in all these different positions is the thing that actually gets people into trouble um, over time. And in some sort of complex, in a complex way, not in a one-to-one direct way. Right. And, and that's, that's where posture plays into things. So I have two more points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe we can, at the end, just kind of chime in a couple summary points to wrap this all up. But my two more points were postural adaptations. So I just want to talk about that for a bit, because I think um, there's some important stuff to unpack there. And then lastly, the value of exploring quote unquote bad postures. So with postural adaptations, like I think this, the said principle is a beautiful principle to get on the same page with people who you might disagree with, right? Specific adaptation to impose demand. So it's basically the beautiful thing about the said principle is it's completely indifferent to your desired function. Your body adapts to the way you move or don't move. And, you know, I'm starting to take this idea of that all adaptations are positive with within the context of your body, all adaptations are positive. So if an adaptation over time, for example, you spend a lot of time sitting in chairs. The, the muscles at the front of your hip getting shorter and getting tight are a positive adaptation to the information you gave your body, right? By spending 80% of your waking hour sitting, you're, mm-hmm. you're getting better your, at sitting. You're getting better at sitting. You're giving your body the information that sitting is important for me because I'm doing that position a lot. Therefore, get me better at sitting. You might not mean to tell your body that, but that's what your body's interpreting. And that's interesting because somebody who doesn't sit a lot, like I don't sit a lot, uh, it's actually more uncomfortable for me to sit than the people who sit regularly because they're so adapted and used to it. Right, they're good at so it. So they've gotten really good at it. And and I might be the one like kind of, you know, complaining or, or trying to move around and they're like, what, what's wrong with you? Like I, you know, I sit eight hours a day and I'm used to this. So you're right. The body just has gotten used to that. The other question is, is it, do you want it to be good at that? Right. And And then the other question is, if you adapt to... Uh, narrow where window it's like anything so if you go far down any given road and specialize in something then it's going to um therefore make you less good at other things right the more to the degree that you specialize in one thing or a limited amount of things is the degree that you are will be not not as good in other things so and that applies in sports too and it applies in all different things if you want to be a specialist you got to put the reps in and for somebody who sits all day they're putting the reps in with sitting right but that's going to probably limit their ability to you know expend extend their hips with power in a sprinter in a, in a sprinting fashion unless they work on it in which case they'd be exposing their body to other implements and then getting better at other things too and if you so, look at adopting static positions for long periods of time as essentially the act of practicing the loss of mobility yeah. Right. Like framing it like that. We practice a shitload of time practicing the loss of mobility. So obviously we're going to have terrible mobility, right? Everyone yeah. says, oh, my mobility is terrible. Well, yeah, it's because you the body's very predictable. If you have no hip motion, you haven't used your hip motion. Yeah. So we need to look at it like that, where the body is almost like, as a thought experiment, this dumb robot that you give it commands, it d- produces the appropriate response from those commands. The commands you're giving it is the information you're relaying based on the movement behaviors you do during the day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, for example, if you spend 90% of your waking hours in hip flexion, you start to lose the ability to use the opposite postural position, the hip extension. And it turns out the hip extension posture or position is extremely important. Right. Yeah. If you lose that position, you start to compensate with your low back extending. You start to come and you, if you can't access the hip extension posture you also lose access to a lot of the muscles that fire there namely the glutes 
So your hamstrings have to do way more work. And so your low back pain and your repeated hamstring strains might be a postural problem that you no longer have access to yeah. the hip extension posture. And this is where the posture, this is where the the arguments happen because now it sounds like we're posture police. But right. no, it, if you simplify that all out and you're basically like, if you spend your in the same position for 90% of your time, then the other positions that you're not getting into are not going to be as good. Right. That's what we're saying. And it's so almost all like, of the, whatever the, ha- the muscles or whatever happens to be involved in those other positions is not going to be as used to being there and not going to yeah. be, um, you know, you're not going to develop that, that integrity and that strength and that endurance and all of the things necessary to, to do the other positions that, so that's kind of what we're saying, right? And I it's, think you could be two kinds of posture police. You can be the positive posture police where you are telling people they have to have these postures, or you can be the negative posture police, which means you need, you don't have these options and you need them. That's an okay. I think that's an okay kind of, it's like the function police. You should be able to have this function. You should be able to put yourself into this posture. So saying that, instead of saying you need to adopt this posture, it's you should have access to this and you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's be, where the conversation is. Yeah. It's like, Hey, it would be good if we worked on having a few other uh, movement options here mm-hmm. so that we can spread out the load or we can do the things that we like to do better or easier. Right. Um, that's a good way of framing it. And then, I, then they will buy in and say, yeah, when I, when I work on my mobility um, and I practice these things, it feels better to do them. And, and then it's easier to do them and I can do them with more endurance and that feels good. And at the end of the mm-hmm. day, I feel better. So that's kind of what we want. And, right. and it's, it's more, yeah, it's a very, it's all, and somebody who says like, well, I don't want to do anything besides that. Well, you might still get benefit of doing like a couple other things or having a couple other positions that you can use, mm-hmm. especially if pain's in the mix. It's like, well, what do you want from me? If, if we're asking if pain in posture is, is a cue to move, well, then we got to talk about ways to, to start moving in d- different ways to put yourself in different positions. So it does come up. And it does, it is relevant to pain in that context. I agree. And it's like two things. If, if you have terrible positioning of your joints, but you never challenge your body, you're probably never going to get pain. You might never get pain, but that doesn't mean that that's not something that can cause pain. You have way less movement options. Terrible. Or we could say if you have any given, if you have some like archetypal position of your body, you could, again, like not necessarily terror it's it's in that context it's actually not necessarily terrible it might be well it, it again it, that's where it gets into right right it's all it depends on the circumstance yeah and another one is like certain movements and activities have postural prerequisites where it's like okay to run you need to be able to have enough postural access to these positions in order to run efficiently mm-hmm. which is still a broad broad spectrum it's not one exact way but like we know that you need to be able to for example flex your hip extend your hip yeah. dorsiflex your ankle i think everyone would agree that you need access to a Some, certain amount of those yeah. so there's nothing wrong with saying well you're doing the activity x and you're getting pain and when we look at your access to positions you're missing prerequisites a b c we need to give you access to those postures those prerequisite mobility ranges in order for you to do activity x and not break down and not, and it's just, and that's one component of doing that activity. And it might be a, a bunch of other things that right. you can apply like, it to strength. It might be just like balance. simply how much are you actually doing it? Like, oh, I've started running and I've run for uh, 14 days straight and I've been running a kilometer more every day. Oh, oh, we like, we also need to look at like load management and how much you actually running and like, um, all of these other things too. But it's, but also that doesn't mean that the posture isn't important. We also got to look at that or, or it would be beneficial for us to look at that to some extent. So maybe we right. can dip you into a slightly better range of positions that you get into. Nothing's perfect, but maybe we can start to slip you a little bit more into efficient ranges mm-hmm. so that you can perform better because you're a human and you want to perform like a human. Um, yeah. And then maybe that is one of the many things that can play into your pain. And even right. if it doesn't play into your pain, it's still better because it feels better and you're faster and you, and you like it better. So, yeah. And there's almost like a hierarchy of of like as you almost have to develop a hierarchy of prioritization of what is most important right load management might be an issue but if this person has zero mobility and sits all day that might hierarchically be a more important point to address because Mm -hmm. then it's going to allow it might expand their their load exposure capacity if they just have better positions available to them yeah 
You can so, spread out the load more. It plays hand-in-hand hand with load management because if you have a bunch of available options, you can spread load out better and differently. Right. So, yeah. I mean, opening up positions that you didn't have access to is essentially a form of load management. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So the last one I had before we kind of go through summary points is the value of exploring bad postures. And I think there's hilarious examples of this is something like the Jefferson curl where yeah. people are like, that's a terrible spine position. And, you know, I, I really believe you get injured in the positions that you never train or expose your body to. And, you know, Edo Portal talks about the value of exploring improper alignment. He says there's no such thing as import, improper alignment. There's yeah. only improper preparation. And I think that's in line with the whole, you know, as an example, you can be incredibly strong in one narrowly defined position. But what good is that if the minute you escape that narrow band of positioning, you are weak and you're susceptible to injury. There's, you know what I mean? So we have to, I think our obsession with optimal alignment, like performance aside, like if you're dead, if you're deadlifting a thousand pounds, you should probably really care a shitload about your alignment because it's just biomechanical efficiency of lever arms. But for the average person, if you're always focused on having all your joints in these positions when you're doing uh, a deadlift, when you bend over, if you're overly focused on never letting your spine bend, well, what happens if one time you forget and your spine does bend? That's what happened to me when I got yeah. a back injury in physio school and I couldn't walk. So it's like, I think there's value in training in, in quote unquote improper or bad postures mm -hmm. in a controlled way so that if you ever encounter them in real life, you're able to have a strategy for dealing with it. Yeah, I agree. And you see that a lot. Um, these You'll see some some people in Ido Portal's, uh, there's this guy named, uh, I think Roy Gold or something. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's some of the positions that he's got he's, great stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so these guys will get into crazy positions and you'd be like, Oh, is your knee supposed to bend or do that that much? And it's, well, clearly it's okay if it does that. Right. And right. now can he do that for hours on end? Maybe, maybe not. Or right. maybe he's had to train years to get to that point. And if you tried it today, what he's doing, you, you might hurt yourself. So back to that is, are you used to it? How much have you been training it? Do you want to train that? How much of it do you want to train? Right. Um, but definitely having a bunch of different options uh, allows you to be technically safer and just be more dynamic. And if you do get out of narrow ranges and yeah, and that's helpful. You yeah, just have a broader, a broader range of capacity. And I think it's, once again, you have to go several layers deeper where it's like, well, is that position good or bad? Well, it's like, depends on that how they're dosing it depends on that person's capacity what's good for you might be terrible for me yeah right when you see someone doing a jefferson curl with a, like 300 pounds you might look like oh my god that would that, that person shouldn't be doing that well it's like that person may have trained for two years to be able to do that yeah. and in which case they're completely fine That's like it. that should be looked at in the same way as squatting 500 pounds they've worked up to that well uh, i wouldn't assume that some people are probably doing shitty ass jefferson curls and hurting themselves but there needs to be a conversation about, are you ready? Do you have the capacity to do that movement and how are you dosing it? That's the, that's what I was going to say is load management enters the equation too. So if you are doing a rounded back deadlift, it's not necessarily bad, but if your max uh, deadlift is like, let's say 250 pounds, you're probably not going to want to start with a rounded back deadlift. <laughs> exactly. Just again, because you're not prepared for it. So you might go down right. to something with lower load and then you might prepare. And maybe like you say, in two years, you can round back deadlift uh, 250 pounds if that's your goal. Right. Uh, maybe it is. I don't like that's not my goal, but maybe your goal is to round back deadlift 250 yeah. pounds. Not not a bad, not the worst thing in the world. So it always so, depends. Yeah. And uh yeah, like we said, the polarization and extremism is very obvious on things like social media because of the way that algorithms incentivize capturing our attention, not because it's valid information, right? Like Tristan Harris gives a great <laughs> analogy. He's like, if you're driving down the freeway and you see a crazy looking car accident where there's like a dead body on the ground and you look at it because it it attracts your attention, it it feeds into this very primitive desire to look at things that look very crazy, Um essentially Google would interpret that as that person loves to look at car accidents. Yeah. And so all you're going to see is car accidents. It doesn't mean you wanted to see that, but it's a limiting, you know, it's just like if you looked at gets more eyeballs, someone saying crazy shit about posture, then Google assumes you want to see more crazy shit about posture. And so your world becomes this polarized uh, environment of posture is doesn't matter at all or yeah. posture matters. Uh, posture is everything. And it's like, well, actually, there's a conversation and then fighting in the comments and all that. And, and then just the medium alone doesn't allow you to explore this thing. Like if you 
printed out a transcript of today's conversation. I don't know how many pages it would be. be a lot. But it would be longer than the comment thread in, in it. And it would be longer than the uh, caption in an Instagram post. Right. Um, it would, yeah, so we're talking for an hour and, and it's a lot of stuff. And we could probably even go back and, and pick out a bunch of things we said and be like, oh, actually I actually want to explore that more because that's not exactly what I meant on that. And I could spend right. another half hour on just on that point alone because there's nuance there that we didn't even touch on. Um, so well, we spent probably 10 minutes even defining posture before we even talked about posture. Yeah. So even one of the things on social media is two people are arguing about a term and they don't even, they haven't even established that they agree on the definition of that term. Yeah. So obviously the conversation is going to go south. You don't even agree on the base foundation of what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's like, that's a big problem. Like philosophers used to spend like hours or days arguing about the meaning of a word before they even had a conversation because that is the foundational point of agreement before you can have a nuanced conversation we need to be steel manning each other's arguments instead of straw manning them so you need to come to the you need to basically whenever you're talking to somebody establish here's what you mean and, and say it back to them in the way that they're like yeah that's exactly what i mean okay right. cool that's what you mean that's great now i'm going to work off that here's my rebuttal to that right. um and we just don't do that we we just um we make up what they what we think they mean and then we argue it right, right. with our own team exactly and one team is just going against the other so why don't we finish with some uh just kind of summary points to wrap everything up um i'll get started with just saying that posture means position and if you want to move well and without pain, you need to be able to demonstrate a broad variety of positions. So it's not about the perfect posture or the perfect position. It's being able to have the capacity to demonstrate a broad variety of these things so that you at least have a chance to do certain movements or activities without getting in such an inefficient position or one that you're so ill prepared to face that you break down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then posture and Postures and positions are just options and the more of them you have, the better you can spread out loads better. You can do more things and activities and you can perform better when we talk about that um, in these activities. If you work on on establishing uh, on establishing more of them and practicing them, just like we take for an, a developmental standpoint. Right. Um, I think posture posture is dynamic and contextual was another one that I had. So it always posture in and of itself can never be the basis of a conversation without an understanding of context and the fact that posture is a needs to be looked at through a human lens like if you're talking about a statue you can talk about posture but yeah. if you're talking about humans you need to talk about the dynamic interplay of posture which also requires a conversation about or consideration of coordination muscle activation um balance. lever arms balance like there's so many things that you need to talk about when you talk about posture in a dynamic way um, in order to have a meaningful conversation about it uh, yeah, in certain postures, you you feel better than others and go by feel. Going by feel is, is key in listening to the sensory information that your body's giving you. So it might be saying that you're, I, I don't like this posture or it might be saying I like this posture and it might be a pain telling you that or it might just be the fact that you can actually and it's something external that you're listening to. Like I can lift more weight when I do that. So that's good. Mm -hmm. So listen and go by feel and what, what feels better, what feels not as good and, and learn from that and develop postures that feel better than others because why would you not want to feel better? Right. And I mean, the last point that I would say is don't focus overly on the position, on the posture you adopt, focus more on not adopting a fixed posture for a long period of time. So yeah. focus on the dose instead of the snapshot, because that yeah. matters way more. Um, and there is value in exploring quote unquote bad postures or, um, you know, poor improper alignment, let's call it. There is value in exploring those things so that you have a data set for how to meet the challenge if you're ever forced to be to be in that position right if you're doing it with intent purpose and awareness yep uh, and yeah, that that's a good addition layered on yeah cool folks well i hope that that episode of critical conversations was able to clear up uh the topic of posture it's a very deep topic when you start to dig into all the weeds and i don't think there's a way to have a conversation about posture a meaningful one without doing that and exploring the nuance and the context and unpacking it fully uh, and like you said, we could have probably turn this into a three hour conversation, but I think an hour is a good chunk for people. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, and it gives you a better understanding of posture when the term comes up. If you're a clinician, uh, hopefully that broadens your perspective about posture. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.